Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everyone. Our last series was on the priesthood and the institution of the, the priesthood in the Catholic Church, and now we're going to talk about the sacraments. So in the upcoming weeks, we're going to be talking about each individual sacrament, and we already talked about one of them with last week in the priesthood, but this episode, I just want to do an overview of the sacraments. So let's start off with what is a sacrament. So according to the Catechism in paragraph 1131, it's an efficacious sign of grace instituted by Christ, and it's entrusted to the church by which divine life is dispensed to us. So in other words, it's an outward sign of an inward or invisible reality. So it's always something that is perceptible to us, right? So we can see, smell, touch, or taste, or hear. So we can use all of our senses uh, to perceive these physical realities that Jesus instituted in order to communicate his divine graces to us, right? So we are physical beings, and Jesus, he became incarnate, and he gave us these physical things. And in the Gospels, you'll see all the time that he used physical things, like he made uh, clay uh, to open a, a man's eyes, and and uh, and other things uh, to use as signs, these physical beings, but to communicate uh, invisible realities of it, right? So, which would be God's grace. And this grace, every single time we take part of a sacrament, is always communicated. You always receive the grace, even if you feel it or you do not. So, uh, your soul is always um, receiving that grace every single time you receive that sacrament. And so the word sacrament, it comes from a Latin term, sacramentum, which is uh, means it's an oath that is sworn. So in the Greek, in the original Greek, it's mysterio, and which is where we get the English word mystery, right? So you're going to see uh, oftentimes in the New Testament where St. Paul says the, uses the word mystery, <clears throat> such as in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, he says he is a servant of Christ and steward of God's mysteries. So that is where we get the word sacrament from, from right? So uh, the Greek word used there is mysterio, which means, uh, which is where English gets mystery and in uh, Latin it's sacramentum. So that's where we get sacrament from. So they're all sacraments. <clears throat> So these are not mere rituals, not mere signs or mere symbols. They are sacraments because when Jesus gives us a new oath, God sevened himself, which we're going to talk about later and what that means. He sevened himself all over again like he did in the in the old creation in the very beginning. So now we have seven sacraments by which this new covenant in Jesus Christ is ratified and renewed in oaths. So there are seven sacraments and there's three different categories that you can break these seven sacraments up into. So the three different categories of sacraments are initiation, healing, and service. So the first one, initiation, those have three sacraments in it. So you have baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. And then you have the uh, category of healing, which is the the two sacraments of confession and the anointing of the sick. And then you have the third category of service. So that would be your sacraments of holy orders or holy matrimony so just to go down them one more time all seven sacraments are baptism so it's like a regeneration we are uh, cleansed from our sins original or personal and we become spiritually alive and we receive the holy spirit and we become sons and daughters of god and into the faith 
and we become into the faith, like it's it's the as Saint Paul would say it, it's the circumcision that the Jews had, right? So that is one reason why the Catholic Church has always, from the very beginning, baptized babies because our circumcision that the Jews had, which was always done on the eighth day, now we have baptism that now institutes us into the 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 to be people the people of God. Then you have the confirmation. So you're sealed or strengthened in the Holy Spirit. Then you have the Eucharist, which we're going to be talking about uh, the next episode. Have a few series on that, which is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. So it's what is commonly referred to as communion, right? And that is the center of the new covenant because it is Jesus Christ himself. And that is when Jesus institutes at the Last Supper, right before his sacrifice on the cross on Friday, but he sacrificially gives himself in the Eucharist on that Holy Thursday where he actually calls it the the new covenant, the new and eternal covenant. It's the only time that Jesus uses that that word is new and eternal covenant is at the Eucharist. And then you have the sacrament of confession. So at the very beginning, um, and at the very beginning of the church, right from the get-go, that was your basically your second baptism, right? So like after you're baptized, there you're still um, you're still fighting against sin, you're dead to sin. And so like when you fall, you can come and run to the sacrament of confession. Then you have the anointing of the sick. So those who are sick or dying, they are uh, anointed with oil and the prayer of the of faithful will will forgive their sins and uh, we believe that it'll take them up to heaven. And then uh, the two sacraments of service, holy orders, which is what we talked about last episode, the priesthood and religious life. And then the last one is holy matrimony, is marriage, right? And so there you have the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. And this, uh, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church are one of the very few, as far as I know, the only ones that have seven sacraments. Most other Christian churches, our Protestant brothers and sisters, typically have two or three, and you always, you'll typically find baptism and then marriage, right? So two or three of those sacraments. But in the Catholic Church, there's seven sacraments that communicate God's grace, and they're instituted by Jesus himself. And it was interesting, one time I was listening to the radio, a... I think he was a convert from, he was a Protestant and he was a sergeant or uh, he was high up in the in the military and he saw through the lens of being uh, in the military that Jesus Christ, he established a church set up like an army kingdom. So with the sacraments in particular, right? So he saw that Jesus, he was on the offensive, right? So he became, he came to destroy the works of the devil and to destroy the works of any darkness. And that's what the church is called to do as well, as Jesus has the head and we are his body. And in this church, this army kingdom, we have baptism to get like prepared for, for battle. We come in, into the, into that kingdom. We get confirmed to get strengthened. We are, receive the Eucharist daily for our strength, for our, our daily bread, our daily sustenance, right? To go out in battle every single day. Then when we get wounded or fall, we go to the sacrament of confession or we have the anointing of the sick. And, um, and then we have holy orders and holy matrimony for your different, different types of stations or service throughout the church in order to go out into the church and live out your vocation and within the kingdom of God in order to uh, work through the the head Jesus in order to destroy the works of the, the of darkness and um, so yeah I just thought that was really that was really cool so first I want to back up to um, 
uh, the Old Testament, start with the Old Testament because, uh, and we have talked about this before, but typology, that is so, it's, typology is the study of types. So in the Old Testament, there were types of, that were foreshadowings of what was to come in the new covenant and which was always uh, fulfilled in Jesus and his church. And um, so you always have to read the Bible in the full context, right? Starting from the beginning all the way to the end. And that's what typology is. That's just how the New Testament writers wrote the Bible with the whole Old Testament or what they would call the scriptures in mind, right? Because they were Jewish people writing to Jewish audiences typically. So you have to have that in mind. And right from the early church and even within scripture itself, they talk about typology. So St. Paul um, and Hebrews, he's talking about the types. So all these types were fulfillments in Jesus um, from the Old Testament into the New. And that's where a lot of times where you like when we talked about Mary, when we talked about the priesthood, when we talked about um, the, the church in itself and the authority, it's always on the context and where Jesus <laughs> came from and where all of Christianity is a fulfillment of Judaism. So you have to have an understanding of the Old Testament. That's typology, right? So even with the sacraments. So let's go to Genesis 21, where this is uh, Abimelech and Abraham. They make an oath together. In Genesis 21, uh, starting in verses 22, so they are talking about they're at the well of, um, they're, at a, they're at a well and they're talking about who is this well going to belong to, right? So Abraham, um, Abimelech says to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but as I have dealt loyalty with you. You will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not read heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven you lambs of the flock apart. So I wanted to emphasize seven because earlier I talked about God sevening himself and this is where it all comes from because the number seven is very sacred in the Old Testament. We're going to start here, but then we're actually going to back up to the very beginning. So it goes on to say, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven you lambs which you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that you may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because they're both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. And so that term uh, or that place that was named from that time, and it's still named that today, Beersheba, it literally means to swear an oath and make a covenant. So Beer is a Hebrew meaning for well, right? So they're debating about the well. That's where they met and that's where they're debating about and who does the the well belong to, right? And then the last part of Be'er Shava, Shava means oath. So literally, Be'er Shava means well of the oath or well of the seven. If you just heard a car alarm going off, you're not going crazy. That was outside of my house. So, uh, But all right, let's continue. So Be'er Shava literally means well of the oath or well of the seven because in order to enter into a covenantal relationship, which Abraham and Abimelech both knew had to swear an oath in that in that situation, right? So in Hebrew, the verb to swear an oath is Shava, which is based upon the Hebrew number seven. So literally, it means to seven oneself. So right here in this, uh, it's a pre- it's presupposed, right? It's not 
it's not prescripted in this context. It's presupposed that Abraham and Abimelech already know that that in order to enter into this covenantal relationship, that they're going to have to swear an oath and make a covenant, which literally means to seven oneself, right? But this is rooted because they already assume this because it's there from the very beginning, right? So, um, and we're going to back up here in a second to, to see that. So to swear an oath is rooted in the sacred number seven. So what's assumed in the scripture, they both assume that they understand that the seven lambs presented for sacrifice is the liturgical means to make a legally binding covenant, right? So it's both a liturgy of animal sacrifice and a legally binding covenant based on oath swearing. And at that time, it became permanent, right? So in the future, Abraham's Abraham's uh, son, Isaac, he was still with that covenant uh, related to Abimelech and his offspring. So this covenant bonds establish establishes a sacred family bond, right? So that is the definition of a covenant, a sacred family bond. So this seven, this number seven, the sacred number seven, right here we see, um, and right from the beginning, it symbolizes completeness that comes from results of swearing an oath and making a covenant. So all the way back, now let's back up all the way back to Genesis 1, where God makes the world in seven days. But it's only on the seventh day that God blesses this, those days and makes makes the seventh day holy, right? So now... So he makes the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rests and he blesses and he makes that day holy. And it's that time where Adam and Eve, our sons and daughters, like a place, like a palace or a temple, right? So that's the very first covenant with Adam and Eve, and God makes this in seven days, right? The next covenant with Noah. So the floods come and he tells Noah to build an ark. So on that ark, he takes seven clean animals. Then he boards, then on the board, then he's on board for seven days. And then the floodwaters recede. And then every seven days, he sends out a bird, then a raven, and then a dove to check out the land. And so literally here we see sevening or covenanting or swearing, binding together in sacred kinship right here in the, in the covenant with Noah. And then... <clears throat> Uh, then we move forward through with Abraham and Moses. So they renewed their covenant every seven days, right? So in the it's written in the very fabric of the entire Pentateuch or the law, the first five books of the Bible. So the Sabbath was every seven days, right? So every Saturday, they had renew their covenant as Jewish people. So the law brought about liturgy every single day. So it was every, the liturgy was everyday life that was in, integrated in the law, right? So that was what the law intended it to be, is that liturgy for everyday life. So Jewish law included circumcision, kosher laws, ritual washings, precepts, governing the offering of sacrifices. Uh, there's a liturgical calendar, calendar instituted by God, uh, moral laws, etc., which were all meant to communicate an inner transformation and blessings and pointed to something, someone greater, right? So that was all fulfilled in Jesus. <clears throat> and Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so, uh, and then what we see in Leviticus 23, this is when the liturgical calendar year is stipulated by God himself through Moses to Israel. And guess what? There's seven festivals on the liturgical calendar. And the first one is the Sabbath day, which is celebrated every seventh day. The Passover <clears throat> is basically the New Year's every single year. And then uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasts for seven days. And then Feast of Weeks or Oaths comes seven weeks after Passover. And then Pentecost comes from the 50th day, right? So uh, seven times seven, 49. And then it's on the 50th day for Pentecost. That's where we get the term Pentecost from. It comes on the 50th day. 
And then the last three, so those are four, right? It's four of the seven festivals. And then the last three all fall within the seventh month of the liturgical calendar. So then you have Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of the seventh month. And then Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, which is the 10th day of the seventh month. And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles, which lasted seven days and 70 bolaks were to be offered. So these God is constantly communicating this sacred number of seven, right? And so what is he trying to do and communicate from the very beginning? That he's trying to seven himself. He is sevening himself to his people. He is wedding wedding and swearing an oath and making a covenant, a complete giving of my life for yours and your life for mine. It's a covenant, it's a sacred family bond right from the beginning. And so... I want to read uh, just really quick, just um, from Second Chronicles, chapter fifteen, verses eleven through fifteen. So it says, "They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep, and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul." And that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They took oath to the Lord with a loud voice, and with shouting, and with trumpets, and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and had sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. So in ancient Israel, they, you see right here that there's a renewing covenant with, with the Lord through sacrifice. And it was not just a legal ritual. It's a sacrament, right? So in keeping the law, they have to prepare for the liturgy. So we can learn from our brothers and sisters right here and our ancient Jewish brothers and sisters right here because the liturgy, the oaths, the covenants were everything to the Jews. Their worship and God permeated, or at least it was meant to, every aspect of their lives. So there, it was supposed to permeate the liturgy of the law and sacrifices were supposed to permeate their work, their politics, the religion, kitchen, the bedroom. And think of the, the temple itself in Jerusalem. It was everything to them. It was their place of worship. It was their capital. It was their court. It was, it was everything. So what is legally binding is to be liturgically celebrated every time we partake of the oaths or sacraments of the new covenant, right? Which we bind ourselves to God and celebrate as beloved sons and daughters even more than what we just read in Second Chronicles than what the ancient Israelites did. And as new covenant people in Jesus Christ, we are called to go from the oaths and sacraments and allow God's transforming grace from those sacraments permeate and empower every aspect of our lives, not to be fragmented of our lives. So a lot of us uh, in the Western world, especially in America, we are so fragmented. Like I have my religious duties here, then I go to work and then I do these things and we're all fragmented, but that's not what God intended it to be. He wanted right from the beginning when he was sevening himself, making these covenants and the law and giving these liturgical calendars is because he wanted this, he wanted a personal relationship with them through these, these sacraments and oaths, these renewals constantly to permeate every aspect of their lives. And it should be no different. And actually it should be even more amplified in the new covenant because we have a transforming grace by the blood of Jesus that we are saved by and the Holy Spirit that we are empowered by in order to fulfill the law, which is to love uh, God and neighbor with our whole heart. So everything is supposed to be permeated by it. And in the sacraments of the new covenant, the seven sacraments of the new covenant, which fulfill all of these things that we have been talking about, right? So God sevens himself and Jesus Christ all over again. 
and with these with the new and eternal covenant found in Jesus and we have seven sacraments to empower to communicate and to have a personal strong bond sacred family bond and all of these sacraments we renew our our oath and our covenant every single time we go to mass or confession or uh, participate in any of these sacraments we are renewing and ratifying um, our uh, our oaths with God and it's a personal relationship that wants to permeate every aspect of our lives to transform our lives right around us and our family and our friends and then uh, just really quick as we go through the New Testament you even see in the Gospel of Matthew the seven parables of the kingdom and you see seven pop up in multiple places but in the Gospel of John it's it, the Gospel of John is very different than the three synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, uh, they're written um, from different perspectives, but they have a lot of the same uh, stories or the, a lot of the same um, memoirs of Jesus' life together. But the Gospel of John actually fills out or magnifies what is written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he actually, this goes to just to show the, the development that goes over time, always within the Catholic Church, is right from the very beginning, even the apostles had better understanding as time went on. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written much earlier than Gospel of John. Gospel of John was written around the year 90. And so he assumes that his readers already know about these covenants and all, and all of these things. So he writes it because there's a heresy that Jesus wasn't divine. So he specifically talks about his divinity, but he also draws out all seven sacraments. So the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John are called the Book of Signs, whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about miracles happening. Uh, St. John talks about the book of signs. All of these signs pointed to all seven sacraments, and you see every single one in these uh, in the Gospel of John. Seeing You see baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, confession, uh, um, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and holy matrimony, all within the Gospel of John, and we'll, ma- we'll go through that as we go through the individual sacraments themselves. But um, so we, but just to show that in the New Testament, these are already fulfillments of in Jesus Christ, what we're, God was trying to communicate from all along from the very beginning, that he was trying to seven himself and that he was going to establish a new covenant, new and eternal covenant found in Jesus. And these seven sacraments are what make us Christian, are what makes us so grateful and so appreciative to God to be Catholic because he wants us to be a covenantal people, to be in a personal relationship with him, with the sacraments. So, the, which the Catholic Church is it states it in this way that we are bound to the sacraments as people, but God is not. Right. So, if you're you are you love Jesus, but you're not Catholic, that doesn't mean that God isn't communicating grace to you. Um, he can reach you. Uh, he's God, right? He can work outside of the sacraments. However all of the seven sacraments Jesus instituted himself in order to communicate grace in our daily lives and uh, he wants us to partake in those new and those that new and eternal covenant and all those sacraments that we receive his divine grace to participate in his divine life which is love itself and to transform the world around us and I can't uh, stress to you enough the transformation that my heart and my soul has received because I go to receive the the Eucharist, Jesus himself, every single day, and I try to go to confession every single week to receive Jesus's grace and to walk out there more purified, more conformed to the heart of Jesus, to have a personal relationship with Jesus, to transform my work, my personal life, my relationships, and everything about my life that I am transformed by the love of Jesus found 
most complete in the sacraments and the Catholic Church. Can't wait to talk about the Eucharist with you guys next week, and God bless you.